For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Go check out EthosFantasyBB if you haven't already. That is where you get access to all of our content right when it is released, whether it be these podcasts, the It's Gone podcast with Britton Allen, different articles, news and notes, Everything that we do on the baseball side is up there at Ethos Fantasy BB. And if you're not somebody who likes to go on Twitter, you guys can get that right from the source at sportsethos.com. We got a couple articles that will actually be hitting the site later today. Of course, our, our daily pickups piece went live earlier today like they do every single day. And we've also got a buy low, sell high from Andrew coming out. And Chad's usual weekly musings will also be on the site. By the time you guys are hearing this, they'll likely be there. So please do go check it out, whether it is on Twitter or right at the source from sportsethos.com. I appreciate you guys uh, putting up with that. I start off every single episode trying to drive you guys over to the website a little bit, also to our Twitter page. We're still growing that one out, trying to get to 1,000 followers. Still a relatively new venture here at Sports Ethos with the baseball side. We've been doing it for more than a year, uh, but all that support really does help out, and I appreciate every single follow, like, retweet, and all the rest of it that you guys have done uh, over this past year. It really does mean a lot. But we are going to get into the meat and potatoes now. We're going to talk about the injuries, a lot of injury updates. Some of them good, some of them not so good. Yesterday seemed like we had a lot of injuries. Uh, even into this morning, we've had a couple of different reports of players uh, who are going on the injured list or different updates on their injury return. Some of it's good. Some of it is, like I said, not the greatest news, uh, but we'll get into some of those big names. We're going to talk last night's notes uh, like I do here. If you guys are not following on Twitter, I do a daily thread where I talk about usually eight to ten players that I find interesting from the night before and just go through my evaluations of them. I'm not going through your Mike Trouts and your Vlad Guerrero's and your Ronald Acuna's. I'm typically not. Sometimes I will mention one of them if there's a particularly big outlier one way or the other. But I'm going through guys who are typically going to be either available or kind of on the cusp of being, you know, 12-team guys and talk about those more fringy kind of players who might be either very hot or very cold. Because I think that's where it really lies uh, in fantasy, whether you're going to win or not, is is not really the first couple of rounds of drafting. Of course, if you draft somebody in the first round who gets hurt, then that's a different story. But I think the draft is typically one in the later rounds and also on the waiver wire. And those notes that I do every day are just geared towards trying to help you guys make the best waiver decisions possible. So we're going to go through those notes in more detail than you will see on Twitter. Of course, they, they have been out on Twitter since this morning, but we're going to go through them in more detail. We're going to talk a couple of pitching streams for tomorrow, which is Thursday. It's a very thin day of baseball. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. That's it. Seven games tomorrow. I've highlighted two potential streamers. They're likely going to be more deeper league guys. I don't expect them to be 10, 12 team guys, but we're going to highlight a couple of them. Uh, you know, There's really not much to choose from tomorrow. I'd probably recommend not using a stream, but we're going to talk a couple of options. 
And then at the end, we're going to do something that I've been doing uh, over on Twitter over this last couple of days, and specifically today. I've been tweeting out uh, different value check-in threads. Uh, so essentially, I'm tweeting out polls of whether you would prefer to have the overperforming player to this point or the underperforming player. We've gone through one at every position uh, except for a relief pitcher, but we're going to talk about the different early results because there are some very interesting ones, and it does look like there is some buy-low opportunities that will be there as well. But let's start off with the injury report here. Brandon Woodruff is going to the 15-day IL with shoulder inflammation. This is not ideal, obviously. I, you know, there's really not so much you can really do, though. Like I, I know a lot of people. I had a couple people ask what to do. You don't. You don't really do anything. Like he's been fantastic to start the season off. This is obviously shit. But at the same time, it's expected to be a minimum stint on the injured list. I know he dealt with some stuff last year. I don't think it was shoulder, but there was some arm problem earlier in the year that plagued Brandon Woodruff. Early in the season last year, he did not look so sharp, and it was because of that. I'm not 100% sure. I don't think this is the same problem. I don't think it was inflammation, but I think it was his, uh, his throwing arm last year as well. So it's a little bit of concern there for sure. But at the end of the day, you're not dropping him, obviously. You're just going to put him on the IL. If you don't have IL spots, you're just going to bench him. Because it's Brandon Woodruff. He is a borderline top 10 pitcher in baseball. So there's there's nothing to really do. I did have a couple of people asking me questions about it at the end of the day, though. Uh, you put him on the IL, and you just hope it's a minimum stint. There's nothing nothing to really else can be said about uh, Brandon Woodruff at this point until we get maybe a little bit more information on the exact severity of the of the issue. Uh, but let's talk Corey Seager. He left the game yesterday with hamstring tightness. This is not good for Corey Seager. He's been off to a pretty hot start, 359 batting average so far, 14 for his first 39. He's also hit a home run. Again, we don't really know the severity at this point. There's going to be more testing done today. He's expected to go on the injured list. I think we're probably going to see a 15-day stint on the injured list or a 10-day. I think it's 10 days now for for hitters. So we'll see uh, if he does end up needing that stint. I think he probably will. But again, there's no real move to be made here. Short-term pickups. We talked about some yesterday uh, at shortstop. Bryson Stott, Orlando Arcia, Bryce Terang. There are, there are some options there in terms of a short-term uh, shortstop replacement. And depending on the guy we're talking about, you know, Bryson Stott, I think he could have some rest-of-season value if you did want to use a pickup on him there. Orlando Arcia is probably a little more short-term. Bryce Terang, it, it could be more long-term. There's a ton of options on 10- and 12-team waiver wires in terms of shortstops. Geraldo, uh, Geraldo Perdomo has looked pretty good to start the year as well. Gio Urshela is available uh, in a lot of leagues. Um, you know, Ezekiel Tovar, C.J. Abrams, Luis Renjifo. There is a lot of guys you can plug in, uh, even in the short term, while Corey Seager will likely be out. So it's not the end of the world because the position is fairly flush, but we just kind of have to see again what happens because we don't know how severe this is going to be for Corey Seager. He might not even need the IL. It might just be a couple days off and then back in the lineup. So again, we kind of just have to wait and see what happens. I know you guys want to hear specifics, but we don't really have uh, that much specific information regarding it. Just some hamstring tightness. Hopefully it's not too serious, but other than that, uh, we just kind of have to wait and see. Dansby Swanson, uh, this is an interesting one. He left the game yesterday with cramping in his side, and there's also another complication as well, and I think that they do tie into each other. So <clears throat> Dansby Swanson's wife, uh, she is a soccer player. She's a professional soccer player, and she had surgery. And, and I forget what it was. Let me just double-check. It was a patellar tendon. She tore a, ten a tendon in her knee. Uh, during a U.S. national team game on Saturday. He's been with her at the hospital. He's been staying up late. He hasn't uh, eaten or slept, according to himself, hasn't drank enough water, 
And I think this is something that he just kind of hasn't been taking proper care of himself for the last you know week or so, a few days. Because of his wife's illness, he's just been tending to her, and it impacted him to the point where he had to leave the game yesterday. This is not something where I would expect any kind of injured stint. He's been very good so far this year. There's no need to panic. It is probably, in all likelihood, a, a very minor issue that is likely just caused by stress. We'll have to monitor, obviously, uh, whenever there's like cramping in the side you kind of worry about could it be like an appendix or a kidney problem or something it's I think we're probably not going down that route because I haven't heard anything to suggest that I think this is just he's overtired and he needed a day or two off so uh, no problem there really uh, he's expected to be back by about Friday according to what I'm seeing here so no massive concerns with Dansby Swanson because I know there were some people who were worried I don't think it'll be that serious Let's talk Edwin Diaz. I didn't expect we'd be talking much about Edwin Diaz, but he spoke with reporters. Uh, he spoke uh, during some, I'm not even sure what the venue was, but he talked with some reporters and he said he's feeling great and we are working hard to see if I can possibly uh, come back as soon as possible. Everything's going in the right directions. The doctors say I'm doing great. Now, the regular season's last day is October the 1st. I don't know if he's going to beat that timeline. I would expect... Based on what he's saying, maybe he does. Uh, maybe he comes back for the last couple of weeks of the season. I think it really, part of it will depend. First of all, he'll have to be fully healthy. Uh, they're not going to you know, take any risks. But I think it'll also depend on the Mets' situation at the time. If the Mets have locked up the, the National League East, or even if they're very secure in a wild card spot, I don't see them taking any kind of chances whatsoever. If we get down to the last couple of weeks of the regular season and Edwin Diaz is feeling good and the Mets are fighting for the division or fighting for a wild card spot, who knows how the season will play out. They've had some injuries to their staff. We don't really know what's going to happen. Maybe Edwin Diaz does come back and beat that timeline a little bit, and maybe we can see him as a September head-to-head darling, uh, somebody you can pick up off the waiver wires, or even as a fab darling. Uh, for Roto Leagues, who people will spend a lot of money on, hoping he'll get that kind of rollback uh, at the end of September. I think it's totally possible. For right now, I don't think there's a move to be made. You're likely not going to be able to hold him on IL. Like, maybe you get lucky and have no injuries. I've already got a bunch of my ILs filled up in a couple of leagues already. Uh, it just the nature of what, the season, and we're, do, we're doing an injury report right now. They're still, we're only half, not even halfway through <clears throat> the injuries we're going to talk about. There's a lot going on. You likely won't be able to have the luxury of stashing Edwin Diaz, but if you want to, if you have nobody injured right now, maybe you've just dodged a bullet altogether. If you have unlimited IL or even four or three IL spots, I don't hate the idea of just putting them there. And if you need the space, then drop them, sure. Uh, but if he's doing well, if he's you know expected to beat the timeline or if he thinks he's going to beat the timeline, then maybe it's worth adding him up. If it's not going to cost you anything right now, I don't think people will be bidding on him. Uh, it'll probably be a very low-priority waiver claim that would be able to get him or a very low fab bid. He's 16% rostered in Yahoo leagues. <clears throat> Again, I'm not like advocating for this, but I don't think there's any harm in it if you have the IL space and it's not going to cost you in the long run. If it's just you're adding him up, not dropping anybody, I really don't see the harm in it. You're likely going to have to drop him. <clears throat> it's likely not going to be you know, a, a fully healthy season for your fantasy team, and you might end up having to drop him. That's just the nature of, of the game. But if you have unlimited IL, there's no reason not to. And some leagues do have unlimited IL, so... If you are in one of those cases, uh, Edwin Diaz, I think, is, is fairly interesting. Uh, other than that, though, there's no chance for me uh, in the leagues that, I, that I'm playing in with IL because the IL are, is already completely filled up uh, with, you know, with different players. So 
It, it really depends on your format, but I think there are there are worse things you could do if you have unlimited IL than, than just take Edwin Diaz and stash him and leave him there and not even think about it. That would be my advice if you can, but obviously most leagues you won't be able to do that. Carlos Rodon, he will throw a bullpen session today. Now, there was some concerning news about he had a back problem going on and they were holding him back. Uh, they pushed this back a few days. This was supposed to be a couple days ago when he when he did this first throwing, uh, this bullpen session. Uh, Monday. It was supposed to be Monday, but he had back tightness, which just everybody went into a bit of a frenzy there for a little while, uh, worrying about you know what's going to happen now with Carlos Rodon. But I think you know he's trending towards probably being back, like beginning of May. I think that's that's the way it looks. I think a couple more weeks. You know he has a couple bullpen sessions. He might probably will need a minor league game, and then I think they'll probably call him up, bring him back uh, into the fold. Of course, uh, we have to see how the rehab goes. But I think at this point, uh, it, it looks like he'll be back probably in a couple of weeks. So, again, this is going to apply to a very small percentage of you. But looking at his roster percentage, it's at 95 in Yahoo leagues. That means one in 20 leagues, Carlos Rodon is sitting on the waiver wire. His roster percentage went down 1% from 96 to 95 over the last week. He shouldn't be available anywhere. I know that there is risk with the injury. Of course, there's always going to be risk with somebody like Rodon to begin with. And coming into the year injured does not give you... The warm and fuzzy feeling that we like to talk about here sometimes. But at the same time, he should not be available in a singular league. There should not be any league where Carlos Rodon is sitting there. I don't care if it's an eight-team league, a six-team league, a four-team league. Carlos Rodon should not be sitting on any waiver wire. So that 95 should definitely be closer to what we see for every other player on Yahoo because they don't get up to 100% rostered. Uh, they are they cap at 99 Oh, uh, that's the highest you're going to see. I think for football, they actually go up to 100, but for baseball, it just goes up to 99. He should be 99% rostered. I know most of you aren't going to be able to do anything about this, uh, but just go take a look and see if Carlos Rodon was dropped in your league because it is, it is totally possible in a shallow format that somebody said to hell with him. That should not be the case. Tyler Glass now. This is also some good news. He threw for the first time since February, since he was shut down. Tyler Glass now is an interesting case. He has been an interesting case for a while now because the per-inning stats are just absurd. We know he could be a top 10, top 15 pitcher at worst if he is able to be healthy. And maybe we are getting close to seeing him healthy again through 15-pitch bullpen session yesterday. <clears throat> it's a very small little milestone, 15 pitches, but it was the first time he had thrown uh, since February. So that is definitely progress. His initial timetable was six to eight weeks. We're already in six, seven weeks from that, so he's not going to meet that timeline. But I think maybe you give him another month, let's say middle of May. I think that's probably when we're going to see Tyler Glass now back. He is 92% rostered in Yahoo Leagues. Again, this is going to apply to a very small percentage of you, but it will still apply to some of you. Nonetheless, go and take a look. Go and check the waiver wire, especially if you're in a bunch of leagues. You can lose track of who's available in what league. And somebody like Glass now who people are kind of worried about with injury can just kind of slip through the cracks even depending on IL situation. If there's one IL spot, two, three, five, unlimited, it's, it's, there's so many different situations. So take a look and see if Tyler Glasnow is there. If you have one IL spot, you're likely using it for somebody already. But there are some teams that are fairly healthy. Like I had one team that was fairly healthy until yesterday, and I could have afforded that luxury if a Glasnow or a Rodon was sitting on the wire. They weren't in my leagues. But if they are in yours, I would definitely go and make that pickup. And again, I know this is not a lot of you, 92%, 95%. You're probably thinking, why the hell is he even mention it? Because 92 and 95 are not 99. And there are going to be, even if it's one person out there who say, oh, okay, I'll go check if Glasnow's on the wire, and he is, or Rodon, 
I'll consider that a win, even if it's one person uh, who is able to go and pick up one of those guys because of it. So that is my advice. Not a lot of you, but some of you might be able to find uh, a free glass now or a Rodon at this point. Adam Wainwright is the next guy we'll talk about. He will face live hitters, and he could be back soon. I'm not overly enthused here, really. Uh, I think that Wainwright is an okay deeper league guy. I think he's a 15-teamer, and I don't think that there's much room to have him in shallower formats considering the lack of strikeouts. Now, I know there's great team context. He's done really well these last couple of seasons. I just really worry about how long this is going to go on for with Adam Adam Wainwright. We're talking about a 41-year-old pitcher. Not thrown particularly hard anymore. He's not got dominant stuff. I'm a little bit worried about, you know, people holding him in shallow leagues and what they're actually going to expect. Because the last couple of years have been good. 315 ERA, 305, 371. There comes a point, though, where you got to say, okay, this is probably not going to continue. At his age, with his strikeout rate, which is last year 17.8%, you know, I don't think that he's going to have standard league value. He has good team context. Typically going to give you good ratios, low walk rates, but I don't know that he is going to cut it where maybe he does, but 29% of leagues are holding on to him. You got to think that there are some people in shallow leagues who are still holding on to Adam Wainwright, and I just don't really see a path for him to have a ton of fantasy value. Can he be a really exceptional streamer in certain situations? Yeah, but he's not a must-roster player as far as I see it, and the masses tend to not as well, 29%. It still does feel a little bit high to be holding somebody like Wainwright specifically when you consider the amount of injuries and the fact that a lot of people don't have IL spots right now. Using one on Wainwright, I don't know if that's going to be the wisest move. One more little injury update, and this one is actually pretty promising. Eloy Jimenez nearing a return from the IL. Now, this is a lot quicker than I thought. He went out April 3rd. It's been nine days. I thought we'd get bad news on Eloy because that's kind of what I've been conditioned to believe with him, that there's never going to be good news. But at the same time, Eloy Jimenez looks like he is going to be back. Maybe he comes back on the weekend. He can come off uh, the IL on Friday, and maybe he does. And maybe we see him back in the weekend. Uh, daily changes, obviously, you'll stick him back in there when when he does come back. If you're in a weekly lineup next week, will be kind of interesting, depending on how the weekend goes. I think he's probably going to be somebody you still slot in there. There will be some concern. He didn't start the year off so hot before he got injured, so there will be that kind of concern as well. Uh, you know, he was only 4 for 19, only a couple games, but didn't look terribly great. There, there's no move, obviously. Eloy, 96% rostered. He's, you're not going to find him outside of maybe one or two leagues. Uh, sure, if you're, avail- if you're able to in a very shallow league, there's no league where he should be available. We know the potential. Uh, I'm just a little bit worried about what kind of song and dance we're going to do this year with him on the IL. It's very good news that he's going to come back already, or he's expected to. Uh, the manager said he's close to returning. I'm just a little bit worried about long-term viability, even over the course of one season for Eloy. Can he give us 500 plate appearances? Can he give us four? Can he give us 450? Like, I'm hoping for 500, but at this point, I don't know if we're going to get the 500. We'll have to see. If this is it, then then we could very, very easily. Uh, but I just worry that this might be, you know, uh, more nonsense going forward with Eloy Jimenez because of the way we started off the season. It's not a good omen. Of course, that's not very analytical, but just the way that Eloy has played the game, bit of a knucklehead, uh, you know, getting injured when it's probably not necessary, spring training and whatnot. I'm just a little bit worried about his viability this year. My advice would be if Eloy comes back and let's just say, you know, a couple things have to go right here. He comes back after the minimum stint. There's no setbacks in the next day or two. Comes back, he hits a home run or he has a couple of good games. I would try and sell him. If you can get back another top 100 player for Eloy, 
I would do it. I, I just don't want the headache, right? There's a lot of players like that. Byron Buxton, you know, George Springer to an extent, uh, Luis Robert in years past. It, it really depends on the year, too. Um, but with guys like that, I would much rather take a safer option, specifically when we're starting off the year uh, with an IL stint. It's very promising that he is coming back this soon. But I'm still, in general, just a little bit put off by by what we generally get out of uh, out of Eloy Jimenez. All right, let's move on now. We will talk about last night's notes. Like I mentioned earlier, these go up on Twitter every single morning. If you guys want to follow along, you can go to my Twitter at JoeOrico99, and we're going to just go through uh, what I talked about there. So let's start off with Mr. Jared Kelenic. Back-to-back games with a home run, 11 of 33 to start the season, and a couple of stolen bases. Color me interested. I am definitely going to be adding Jared Kelenic if I still can. Now, in the leagues where I play, he is not available in any of them. He's gone up to 51% rostered now. Uh, initially, last night when I did these notes, he was about 45. So people are still kind of you know, not jumping in with both feet. I, understandably so. Jared Kelenic has put people through a lot in fantasy the last couple of years, dynasty managers in particular. But even redraft, if you took him high up these last couple of seasons, even this year, his price was pretty high. Uh, but he's so far justifying it. A couple of homers, a couple of steals. He's playing most days. Uh, he's had a couple of days off. But at the same time, I think he's an ad everywhere, wherever you can still get him. We have to kind of hope that it's happening. It looks like it might be happening. And I actually tweeted out that that Michael Scott gift from the office where he's, oh, my God, it's happening. Okay, it's happening. And he runs out of the office. It is appearing to be happening. Now, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But you have to take a chance on somebody with this kind of prospect pedigree. Jared Kelenic, or, you know, I might be pronouncing it wrong. It might be Kelnick. I, I've heard it a couple of ways. Kelnick, Kelenic. Uh, there, there's a couple of different ways. But I think, it, I think it's Kelnick. Um, he was the highest-ranked prospect in baseball a couple of years ago. And when you look at his numbers in the minor leagues, like even just last year in AAA, 18 homers, 9 steals, he batted 295. If you go farther down the, the levels – or even just back a couple of years, 2021 in AAA, 100, or excuse me, 30 games, 143 plate appearances, nine homers, six stolen bases, and a 320 batting average. He's excelled at every level of the minors. At the major league level, it hasn't really translated yet over his first, you know, it's almost been a full season worth of games, 157 games. But if you look at what his numbers are outside of the batting average, in those 157 games, that's one season essentially, 23 homers and 13 steals. Now, the strikeout rate is still too high. He's striking out this year. It's at 27%. If he's doing, you know, if he's producing home runs and steals, then I don't really care so much to go along with his batting average. But a career 30% K rate at the big league level, that's a little bit too high. His career batting average at the big league level is 178. Obviously, that is trash. But it's also come with a 250 in Babbitt. And I think maybe we see him, uh, you know, no shift this year, really kind of excel. And where you can still get him, I would be going and getting him. It won't be a ton of leagues, but... It's only, he's only 51% rostered, so it's actually more leagues than you would expect considering what we've seen, considering the prospect pedigree with Kelnick. He is somebody that I wouldn't hesitate to go and add. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but considering what he is capable of, potentially, uh, I think you have to go and take a chance on him at this point. He is potentially going to be one of the bigger steals if you can just pick him up off the waiver wire. John Birdie. Let's talk John Birdie as much as I don't want to. He went two for three yesterday with a little combo meal. He had a home run and stole a base. And inevitably, people were kind of interested. His roster percentage didn't jump. It went up a, a percentage or two. I, I would have thought people would have jumped on it even more. Uh, I'd really advise against it, and I'm glad people didn't go 
and jump on John Birdie. I think there's some appeal because, yes, he stole, what was it, 41 bases last season, which was huge for you, middle of the season, especially, I mean, especially anywhere. But Roto, he just came, he picked him up, and he gave you 40 steals in the middle of the season. Uh, I think there's part of it that is the eligibility, second base, third base, shortstop, and outfield on Yahoo. That is valuable. I'll give you that. He's playing most days. That is kind of valuable. But when you look at what he does from a fantasy point of view, he is a one-category guy. He is just stolen bases. Yes, he hit a home run yesterday. He is not. He hit four last year in 358 at-bats. You might get lucky and get five or six home runs out of John Birdie. It's really just stolen bases. That is where he is contributing, and stolen bases are abundantly available this season. You can find them in a lot of places, and you can find them on players, from players, who are giving you a lot more than just bat or than just stolen bases. They are giving you some batting average. They're giving you some home runs. They're giving you decent counting stats. Whatever it is, you're getting more than one category from most players that you're able to pick up, and like the players that are viable in standard leagues. John Birdie, based on roster percentages, you'd think, yeah, he's fairly viable in standard leagues. But at the same time, I think a lot of it is just from last season, looking at the 41 steals, seeing the eligibility, and people saying, I'll take that because he's going to steal me 40 bases again. One, I don't think he will. And two, even if he does, that value is significantly decreased from what it would have been last year when we're likely to have a lot more 20 and 30 and potentially 40 steal seasons. One category value from a guy like John Birdie is really not going to cut it for me in 12-teamers. In 15-team leagues, absolutely. He's playing every day. Good eligibility. Yes, 15-teamers, NL only. Absolute must roster player there. But in your standard 10 and 12 team leagues, which most of you are playing in, I don't see the need to roster a, a guy like John Birdie or Miles Straw. The, pretty much you can take exactly what I said there, copy and paste it, and put it in for Miles Straw. Even more so for Straw because of the lack of eligibility and the fact that he is always, always at the bottom of the lineup. And Birdie is as well, but Birdie has more potential to kind of bounce around, potentially lead off here and there. Where with Straw, he, like, it's, it's essentially the same advice, but I, I'm not interested in either one of them. You're just getting stolen bases, limited counting stats, and limited power. And with Straw, it's essentially zero power. So no interest there for me in shallow leagues, of course. Like I said, 15-teamers, yes, you need just any warm body in 15-teamers. But in 10, 12-team 10, leagues, uh, I just don't see the need for him. Mitch Keller. I was pretty down on Mitch Keller for the most part in the preseason. I moved him up a little bit. When we brought on Alex Fast from Pitcher List a couple of weeks ago, uh, right before the season started to talk about some outliers, or not outliers, but uh, guys who were eh, maybe outperforming themselves a little bit in spring training and just guys who were moving up or down our ranks. Mitch Keller moved up my ranks a little bit, and he actually pushed himself into the top 100 starters, which he was not a member of. Uh, right before the season, and then right like my last update for Fantasy Pros, I put him in as like 90, I can't even remember off the top of my head, in the 90s somewhere, 95 or something like that. And so far, he has done very well against very tricky opponents. He's had Cincinnati in Cincy, Boston at Fenway, and the Astros at home, but still the Astros. 17 and two-thirds innings, seven earned runs, which is a 3.57 ERA, 22 strikeouts and eight walks. The eight walks is a little bit much. The 22 strikeouts and the 3.57 ERA are very appealing. When you just, like when you even if he did that like against any team, you'd still say, okay, that's that's impressive. But the fact that he did it against three tough opponents, that is impressive. The walks are a little bit of a concern, but they've always kind of been a bit of a concern for him. If he can change that career 21% K rate, I don't think it'll be 30 plus. It's currently 29.3 though. If he can give you like a 26, 27% K rate, then there's probably room for him on a fantasy team. I think at this point, 
in 12-team leagues, I'm willing to take the chance on him. The advanced metrics look pretty good. The XERA is 314. His FIP is a little bit high at 448, and I typically do look a lot at FIP. That is a number that I, I do like. But it's because he's given up more home runs than we probably like uh, to this point of the year. Three home runs through his 17 innings pitch. That is inflating the FIP. If you look at the XFIP, 367. And if you look at his Sierra, it's 388. All those uh, pitching indicators that kind of remove the, the defense, the fielding, the, the park factors, they look pretty good. Uh, they look pretty good for Keller. Now, he's going to be limited, sure, by the team that he's on in terms of wins. Uh, we're not going to see a lot of them. 29 starts last year, five wins, 23 the year before five wins. He started 71 games in his career and he's won 13. Wins are not going to be abundant for him, but you're getting a lot of strikeouts. You're getting what looks like we'll probably see improved ratios. You know, the ERA even last year was 391. If he can give you even 391 with that increased strikeout rate, you'll absolutely take it. But I think we have a potential to see like a 3-5 ERA for Mitch Keller. The walks are still going to be a bit of a question, but if he's striking out as many batters as he has been, then I can look the other way and say it's not the biggest of deals. So I think he is a back-end guy in 12-teamers. Awful team context, but I think well, from what we've seen so far, I would be using an add on Mitch Keller uh, in 12-team leagues. I think he's not a must-roster player, but I think that he is somebody <clears throat> where you should probably get in now if you have any interest at all because he's going to just keep going up and up. Uh, his next start is a bit of a tricky one. <clears throat> He'll get St. Louis. No rest for him to start the season in terms of easy opponents. If he does well against St. Louis, we are going to see everybody add him up because I think that four-start threshold all against tricky opponents. Okay, Cincinnati's not a tricky opponent, but in Cincy, I, I think that we'll see a lot of people add him. And his current 22% rostering uh, on Yahoo will just jump up. It went up 8% from last week, and I think we could just see it go up and up even further. So, Keep an eye on Mitch Keller right now. I think that he is somebody that you should consider adding uh, in 12-teamers. Jake Fraley. Let's talk Jake Fraley. I think he should be getting a lot more attention than he has been. He's 10 for 27 to start the year. Three runs scored, a homer, nine RBIs, and two stolen bases. You know, I really like him in a daily change format. I don't know that he's going to be cutting it in every single league, but I think in a daily change format, considering he sits for lefties, and when he sits, a lot of the time he will, maybe not every single time, but a lot of the time he won't be in the lineup against left-handed pitching. You put him on your bench, you put in somebody else, and in daily change formats, you can usually make that work. Potential is there for a 15-15 and 15 season with solid counting stats. In that ballpark, you know, you're interested in a lot of different players. We saw the interest that people had in Will Myers coming into the season. We talked about Will Myers. I forget if it was yesterday or the day before, uh, but he kind of hasn't panned out in terms of that Cincinnati uh, you know, boost that we were expecting. With, with Fraley, we saw it even in short spurts last year. 68 games, he did hit 12 homers, he stole four bases, and he batted 259, which wasn't great. But when he looked at the batting averages that he would had in Seattle, it was a you know, market improvement. I don't think he's going to bat 370. I don't think he's going to have a 20% walk rate. But he's always been a pretty strong walk rate guy. I think we can see a good, good solid on base percentage. It's at 486 right now. That's not going to stick. But at first career, 231 batting average, 339 on base. That will be there to some extent. A very solid on base of probably you're looking in the 350, 360 neighborhood. Double digit homers and steals, and I think 15 and 15 is in the cards with decent counting stats. I think that there's a there's room for a Jake Fraley on a lot of rosters. Is he going to cut it in like a 10-teamer? Probably not, but I think 12 and beyond, there should be more interest in him than we've seen. 29% rostered. He's still available in way too many leagues as far as I see it. Let's talk about Alex Wood. I'm a big fan of Alex Wood. I have been going back many many years now. 
Uh, he was the pride of a win yesterday simply because Gabe Kapler did not want him to get the victory, I think. I'm probably reading too much into it, but he threw four and two-thirds. He had the lead, five strikeouts. Now, the control was a bit of an issue. Three walks, two hit, by, uh, hit two batters, but he'd thrown 75 pitches through four and two-thirds. He left with the lead. It sucks that he did not get the victory. He's been a guy who has been pretty unlucky. We saw it last season with Alex Wood that his ERA was up over five, and the pitching indicators that we like to look at were in the threes for the most part. He had a 5.10 ERA with a 3.76 FIP, a 3.41 XFIP. He had a pretty good season, even with the 5 ERA. I don't think that he is somebody where you're like a must-add, you have to go and get him or anything like that. But I think he's somebody we should be looking at a lot more than we are as a good quality streamer. You know, he is somebody where in a lot of matchups you're going to take what he's giving you as opposed to, you know, a Dylan Dodd or a Schuster or somebody getting called up for one random spot start. You get a veteran who's got not a great you know defense behind him, but a decent enough team where he should lock himself into enough wins that make streams worthwhile. Only eight wins last season in 26 starts. A lot of that did come because uh, you know the performance was not really well. Not even the performance. The results weren't really there for him. The performance was fine. You have a kind of a high BABIP, and you know he just didn't leave runners on base. Like there was a lot going on with him last season that have people kind of out on Alex Wood. And that's why he is available in upwards of 90% of leagues. I think that he is somebody where, you know, you're again, you're not adding him up right now. He's only 7% rostered, but at the same time, when you get those opportunities to stream him, I think that it would be wise to take a, a good hard look at Alex Wood, as opposed to just some guy getting called up from AAA, even like a Taj Bradley today who everybody's in on, I think is a decent ad. Sure, probably a little bit tricky uh, matchup against the Red Sox. I don't know if that one has started yet. Um, let's see. No, that one's later today. But if you can give me like Alex Wood or Taj Bradley, one for one on any given day this season, I'll take Alex Wood for the most part, you know, like unless it's a really bad, bad opponent. But if we're talking about the same opponent for each game, you're giving me those two options, I'm taking Wood. I'm taking the guy with the experience. We never know what's going to happen with rookie pitchers, and everybody jumps on them. Like, let me take a look and see what Bradley's roster percentage is. It's probably pretty damn high. 25, you know, that's fairly high for a guy who's never thrown an inning in the big leagues before. Alex Wood. He's thrown. He's been in the big leagues for 10 years at this point. He knows what he's doing, and it doesn't always pay off. The results are not always going to be a, a W, but I think it'll be a lot better than those spot starters that we end up streaming a lot of the time. The control, yes, that was an issue yesterday. We're talking about a guy with like a, a less than 7% walk rate for his career, so that's not going to be something that plagues him going forward, or at least it shouldn't be. I, I think there is a lot of value in just remembering him as a streamer. Brandon Belt, let's talk some Brandon Belt. He started the year 1-4-23. It looked awful. Blue Jays Twitter was giving him a very hard time, as Twitter, team-centric Twitter is known to do. But he went 3-4 for four yesterday, drove in a run against the Tigers. Now, he's not an ad. He is not somebody that I would be comfortable adding really anywhere, you know, outside of an AL-only league, 15-teamer, maybe. But I saw a lot of people dropping him in 15-teamers. There's probably better options, in all honesty, at this point. I just tweeted this to highlight that if he does get hot for a stretch, Brandon Belt will be somebody where you're probably going to want to have him on your roster. The Jays, let's say they're facing five righties in a week. Brandon Belt, you know, on a, not even a tear necessarily, but just getting regular ABs and doing fairly well in the middle of that lineup. There will be weeks where I think that he is a very solid streamer. He is not a must-roster player, again, outside of your AL-only formats and deeper, deeper 15-team leagues. But 
I still think that there's going to be a lot of value in him this season, even though the year has started off dreadful. You know, it's very early. 27 at-bats, it's way too soon to draw conclusions on anybody. I think we got to remember Brandon Belt for later in the season when he does inevitably go on a bit of a tear and he will make a solid ad. Even if it's only short-term, uh, remember Brandon Belt for later on in the season. Josh Lowe. We were kind of in on Josh Lowe last year. I wasn't really sure if the playing time was going to be there, and it wasn't last year. Well, he did have playing time early on, and then he didn't really meet the expectations. He got sent down. I think he did get called up again, but it was just a bad rookie year for Josh Lowe, if you even want to call it that. I think he met the rookie threshold uh, in at-bats, but it was just a, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth when you're looking at that as your first you know, foray into the big leagues. 181 at-bats, he batted 221. It was not good. To start this season off, 26 at-bats, he's got 10 hits, two homers, a steal, and he's batting 385. My main worry is playing time. Again, will he get regular at-bats in Tampa's lineup? So far, he's playing roughly every other day. You know, he sat one, two, three, four, five, six games already. It's kind of a lot, and he's out versus a lefty today. Uh, it's Chris Sale on the bump today, so he's not going to be out there. That's kind of my worry. Like, even in a daily changes league, I don't know that he's going to do enough where even if you're plotting him in there when he's facing righties or when he's in the lineup, I don't know that he's going to do enough. If he keeps playing and playing like this, then yes, uh, the playing time will increase. He might get some more bats against lefties. Uh, but right now, I think he's a watch list guy. In deeper leagues, you might, you'll probably want to take an ad. Uh, 15 teamers, I'm sure people will, will use some fab on him. I'm not really sold. Like if it's a 15 team daily changes, yeah, I think I could be I could be convinced, but your standard 15 team weekly lineups, I don't know that you want to plug in Josh Lowe and have him play three times, you know, maybe pinch hit another time. Like I just don't know if that's going to really cut it for you outside of some very very deep formats. Let's talk about a couple of crazy stats uh from yesterday. Garrett Cole went 7 strong against the Guardians and struck out three batters. Very, very strange. I know that the Guardians make a lot of contact, and that was pointed out to me on Twitter. As if, you know, I, I know this. I know that the Guardians make a lot of contact, but Garrett Cole having three strikeouts over seven innings against anybody would be, it is a huge surprise. Ryan Mountcastle had nine RBIs yesterday. Andrew was going, Andrew's writing our, uh, our buy low and sell high pieces here at Sports Ethos. And he was telling us in our group chat last night, like, Ryan Mountcastle was going to be one of the guys where he talked about, as of a couple days ago, as somebody where you might be able to buy and there might be a, a decent little opportunity for you there. Well, this week he's got three homers and 11 RBIs. Before this week, of course, you know, you're looking at a two home runs, seven ribbies. It was not nearly as impressive. He also stole a base earlier this week. Like, he's just had a very, very good week. Or I guess that was the end of last week. Uh, but Andrew has had to change course, obviously, on who he's writing the buy low on. Of course, like I mentioned earlier, that will be on the site later today. By the time you guys are hearing this, it'll probably be up there. Um, that was another cool stat I wanted to highlight, though. Nine RBIs. And then this one, less than cool, because I have a lot of shares. Ryan Presley, Scott Barlow, and Pierce Johnson combined to allow nine earned runs, eight hits, and three walks. It was a very tough night for closers. Nothing you can really do. I did have a question earlier on Twitter about if Ryan Presley is a buy low. Yeah, anybody right now at this point of the year who is underperforming is generally going to be a buy low. Presley has not looked great so far, but I think we're a long ways away from him being removed uh, from the closer position. It was really, this was the first kind of bad outing he's had. First time he's allowed earned runs. Um, overall, he has not been the sharpest, though, 
and he did, um, you know, he missed some time with an illness last week. People were worried about that. I still think he's a buy low candidate. Barlow, I don't know about Barlow because of our oldest Chapman, and they're probably going to be more likely to want to go with Chapman the more the year goes on and the more, you know, especially if Chapman keeps this up. I don't know if Barlow is necessarily a, a buy low, even though it hasn't been so great for him. Uh, to this point of the season, he's been okay. He's got a save, but you know that was that was a bad one yesterday. That that really blew up his uh, his ratios. And then Pierce Johnson. Uh, I don't think that I would be that interested in Pierce Johnson. I think that he is fine, but I think in a lot of leagues, a lot of shallow leagues, you're gonna have more options for saves than we realize. We've mentioned them a lot over the last couple of days. Fulmer and Lopez and Estevez. There's a lot of closers that are available that don't pitch in Coors Field. Daniel Bard is also expected to be back fairly soon from what I saw. Uh, the, the latest update was he faced live hitters yesterday. So I, I would expect that they'll probably give Bard that roll back, even just from a mental standpoint. You know, he went away with anxiety. You give him the confidence to come back and be in the closer role. I think that they're probably going to do that. Pierce Johnson has filled in and given you three saves. You'll take it. And, you know, people are still holding on to him for now, of course. But I do think that he's somebody that we'll likely see get dropped in a lot of cases uh, over the next few weeks. I could be wrong. He could be a rest-of-season play. But regardless, I don't really have that much interest in the Rockies' closer. I think that there is very limited upside when you're dealing with that ballpark on a nightly basis. Let's talk a couple of pitching streams now for tomorrow. Like I mentioned, we are dealing with a four-game slate. Or excuse me, one, two, three, four, seven-game slate, not a four-game slate. Uh, and there are not really that many options in terms of viable pitching streams. Let's just go through the matchups that we have so far for tomorrow. Spencer Turnbull and Chris Bassett. Absolutely not touching Spencer Turnbull with a 10-foot pole there. We got Corey Kluber and Jeffrey Springs. I wouldn't be going for Kluber against the Rays uh, the way they've been swinging the bats. And Springs obviously is rostered. Bailey Falter going into Cincinnati to face Nick Lodolo and the Reds. No way I'm streaming Falter going into Cincinnati. Lodolo is already rostered. Joe Ryan and Johnny Brito, Brito. I think Brito is mostly going to be rostered at this point. Uh, I could be wrong. 41% of leagues. I think a lot of competitive leagues have scooped him up. So he is one of those guys that I am going to be interested in streaming tomorrow. I think that he is a, a pretty viable option. He has done very well so far. Now, will he continue at the same pace he's gone? A couple of wins and a couple of starts. He's only allowed one earned run. I don't know if he'll be that good. Uh, but he is one of the guys where I, I would be interested in taking a chance on him tomorrow. Keep going here, and we're almost at the end. <laughs> Vince Velasquez and Jordan Montgomery. I'm not streaming Velasquez against St. Louis, and Montgomery is already rostered everywhere. And then we have Eric Lauer and Nick Martinez. Nick Martinez is the other guy where I think there is some viability. I'm not recommending it. I, I think that you know we're kind of grasping here because there's just not many options. I know a lot of you do like to stream every day if you have unlimited ads. Martinez has not looked good so far. He got roughed up opening uh, his opening day, uh, which was the second game of the year, I believe, against Colorado. Did not look very good. And then he faced Atlanta in Atlanta, so a very tough matchup there. The Colorado start was at home, so I don't know how much leeway you want to give him for that one. Uh, home as in it was in San Diego. I think for the most part, he's probably going to be a fairly viable streamer. He was very solid last year, not going to give you like, the greatest strikeout numbers, but I think in terms of wins, uh, you know, you're looking at a decent chance going up against Milwaukee. Ratios generally pretty good, if not so much to start this season still, uh, but generally pretty good. Again, uh, not a recommendation, uh, but those are those are the guys that I'm looking at. If you're going to stream one guy, it would be Brido. 
Brito, Brito, I'm honestly not sure. Johnny, B-R-I-T-O for the Yankees. He's the guy that I would be looking at. I've added him uh, in one league. I added him in a Fantrax league. And I actually added him before his last start, so I've just carried that one over. But I think that he is probably your best bet in terms of streams tomorrow, uh, followed by Martinez. If you're really, really deeply grasping at straws, you could look at Cole Irvin facing his old team, uh, the Oakland Athletics. Uh, I'm a little bit wary based on how he started off the season. We know the upside is pretty limited for strikeouts. I think there's a good chance the O's come away with a victory because the athletics are brutal. But we saw what they did to Grayson Rodriguez yesterday. My poor Grayson. We know that they can go off. So there's, I, I really wouldn't do this outside of a 15-team league. But Cole Irvin did show uh, at stretches at times last year where he was very, very good. There was a stretch of four starts where it was like Toronto, Houston, Toronto, Houston. And he mowed through them four consecutive games, mix of Toronto, Houston, and Oakland uh, venues. He is not recommended, but he is capable of giving you a good start. So he'd be a deeper league option. Once again, uh, Brito, Nick Martinez for San Diego, and then if we're really grasping at straws, Cole Irvin. But ideally, I'm not really that interested in any of them. Brito is interesting for sure. Kind of a tough matchup against the Twins, though. Uh, we'll see how healthy the Twins are actually going to be because – Carlos Correa day-to-day. Kyle Farmer took a pitch off his face today, which looked pretty scary. Jorge Polanco is still not back. Uh, Max Kepler's on the IL. Joey Gallo's on the IL. So the lineup is not as scary as it might usually be. So I think Brito is probably going to be fairly viable uh, as a pitching stream tomorrow. He would be the guy that I would take a look at. Now, I mentioned it off the top. We are going to take a look at these polls that I have done over on Twitter, just talking about essentially trying to gauge value of players at this point of the season Somebody who's overperformed, somebody who has underperformed. And we are going to start off with the one I did yesterday. Uh, this one was probably the most interesting of all of them. I tried to do one at each position. Um, we did the pitching one about, you know, earlier last week. So we'll talk about that one as well. But the results do, and, you know, these results will vary day to day doing these polls uh, based on early season results. But the catcher poll that I put out there is who would you prefer to roster over the rest of the season? Logan O'Hoppy or Wilson Contreras? 550 people voted. Wilson Contreras got 53% of the vote. 47% are already on the Logan O'Hoppy train. I can understand people wanting to think that, but Wilson Contreras has given us a track record over a uh, what is it, seven, eight-year sample size. He's giving you 20 home runs plus. He's giving you 50, 60 RBIs. You know what you're getting from batting average out of him, which is probably going to be 240, maybe 250 kind of range. We know exactly what he is. Even though he hasn't started the year off particularly hot, 206 batting average, hasn't hit a home run yet. He also did have to come up, uh, you know, he missed the second game of the season because there was a foul pitch that went off his knee. So maybe that's impacting him a little bit. Ohapi has been great, but to already take him over Wilson Contreras, I think is a mistake. I think if you can make a trade like that, I don't know if you'd want to do it directly one for one, trade Ohapi for Contreras, but I, I would, I would still do it. Uh, you know, it might feel weird because Ohapi has been performing very well. Contreras, not so well. Ohapi's a top 100 player so far this year as a catcher. Let me see where he ranks among catchers. Like, very, very high. Uh, let's see. He might even be number one at this point. Oh, he's number three. Number three catcher to this point in the season. So I can understand not wanting to do it, but it would probably be the sensible move to make a trade for Wilson Contreras. Even if it's not Logan Ohapi, his value is clearly pretty shot. And I know this isn't the massive sample size, but 550 random fantasy baseball players, I think it's a decent enough sample size where we can look at it and say, 
people are pretty uh, pretty out on Wilson Contreras so far, uh, even compared to a Hoppy. And I would make that trade one for one, even if it does feel weird. You're taking the guy in a better lineup with a more of a track record. Ohapi could easily slump. We don't know what's going to happen. I hope he doesn't. Uh, but Contreras is definitely the way I'd still be going there. Now, this one I was kind of expecting a fairly lopsided result for this poll. It was more just to, it was more for fun, honestly, just to see what people were thinking. Uh, I went this one for third baseman, and I said Matt Chapman or Bobby Witt Jr. Seventy-seven percent of people said Bobby Witt Jr., but I think it's very interesting when you consider Bobby Witt was a first-round pick just two weeks ago. Matt Chapman was going in the 150s, 160s. You know, he was pretty far down the board. Uh, and we're already having 23% of people saying they would take Chapman rest of season. Now, I, I was getting into it, not getting into it, like fighting, uh, but just talking on Twitter with somebody about, like, what their rest of season kind of outlook looks like. I think Chapman's going to give you a 250 batting average, 35 homers, 85 runs, 90 RBIs, and maybe five stolen bases. Bobby Witt, I think he'll give you about a 240 batting average, 15 homers, 80 runs, 80 RBIs, 20 steals, roughly. Let's call it even 25 steals. It's close, but I, I think I'm still taking Bobby Witt at this point. No question. Uh, I'm still taking him. It's not, you know, it's, it's not even really that close, I guess. But it is at the same time. Like when you consider the lineup context, when you consider, again, the track record, Matt Chapman has been a slugger in this league for many years. Bobby Witt had one very good season with a poor batting average. He did have some problems with you know, walk rates. Strikeout rate was a little bit too high. He didn't have the greatest rookie season real life-wise. Fantasy-wise, it was very good, but those two things do connect. And I'm not sure that Bobby Witt is going to necessarily give you uh, you know, the same kind of batting average that you're going to need or hope uh, where he would actually surpass Matt Chapman in, in that regard or in any regard. Like, I think because a lot of stats are going to be fairly close. Runs, RBIs, and batting average are going to be pretty close. It comes down to whether you want more home runs or more steals. I would argue you probably want more steal or excuse me, more home runs. Oh, what a misstep. More home runs for sure in a year where steals are abundant. Now, home runs have been pretty abundant so far too, but I think in the grand scheme of things, They'll both probably slow down a little bit, but I'll want more home runs at the end of the day because home run is a four-category stat. You hit a home run, it helps your batting average, helps your home runs, helps your runs and RBIs, where steals are just one category. I'm not trying to make the case that Matt Chapman should be taken ahead of Bobby Witt Jr. or that he's more valuable. I'm just making the case that it is a lot closer than people probably think at this point of the season. I'm still taking Bobby Witt, but it's interesting to see that almost a quarter of people have already moved over uh, to the Matt Chapman side after just two weeks. The first base poll that I put out here kind of cheated a little bit, but he has multi-eligibility. Alec Bohm and Vinny Pasquantino. Alec Bohm has been off to a very hot start. Vinny P has not been great, but he hasn't been bad either. Like I mean, the results are so far 52% for Vinny P, 48% for Alec Bohm. Vinny P is batting 289 with a dinger, three RBIs, four runs scored. Now, Alec Bohm has been fantastic so far this season. He has been everything you could have hoped for, and then some three homers, 11 ribbies, 341 batting average. I still think I'm probably going to take Vinny P, though. You're looking at a guy who was taken as a top 90 pick, top 80 pick, sometimes even higher than that, versus Bohm, who was generally, you know, about double that, 150-ish. It depends on your draft. Sometimes he went a little bit earlier. Sometimes he went a little bit later. Let me actually double-check now. I feel like ADP is kind of, we've moved away from that, so I, maybe I'm misremembering where exactly Bohm was going. But let me take a look at main event drafts 
and let's take a look at Philadelphia and see where he was going. 180. 180 was his ADP in main events, and it was quite a big range, 111 uh, to 241. I'm still going to be in the Vinny P side just based on draft capital alone and the fact that it's still too soon to really change your tune on on a player. Like I've, I was a big Alec Bohm guy coming into the season, but I still think when you look at Vinny P and the potential for the home runs with the batting average, with the counting stats, it's close. It's close, but I'm still, I'm still going to take Vinny P. The potential is there for him to just absolutely explode. And it is for it is for Bohm as well. And I think that the more I think about it, they're not so far off. But Pasquantino, if you look at what he did in the minor leagues, like there's there's potential for him to be a, a superstar. Whereas with Bohm, I don't know that we're gonna necessarily see that. Pasquantino could very well end up with 25 plus home runs. I don't think Bohm is gonna have that same kind of upside. I think Pasquantino will have a slightly better batting average, although that will be close. Steals will be pretty much a wash. And I think that the counting stats will actually surprise some people uh, for Vinny P. We saw Bobby Witt Jr. last year, 80 runs, 80 RBIs. I think we can see something similar from Vinny P. You know, a lot of it does come down as well to lineup positioning, where Vinny P is usually going to be batting in like the three or four spot. And you're going to see Bohm closer to the bottom of the order. So it is close, uh, but I'm still taking Vinny P at this point. It's still... I think for the most part, there's some guys you can kind of change your opinions on, but for the most part, it's still pretty early um, to actually fully change away, especially when there's like a 100-plus pick difference from where they're being drafted. You do have to trust ADP to some degree because generally it's not always going to be correct, but you have to kind of trust the way that a lot of people are thinking in the community. And that might sound wrong, but a lot of people put a lot of time into these drafts, especially if you're looking at high-stakes drafts. You know, we were talking about a hundred plus pick difference with Vinny P and Bohm. Two weeks is not going to make me want to flip flop those at this point. We might get there, but at this point, I'm still going to be in camp uh, Vinny Pasquantino. Next up, second base, Brandon Lau or Marcus Semyon. 69% are still saying Marcus Semyon. This one surprised me a little bit. I figured there'd be more of a recency bias towards Brandon Lau because he's homered in four straight games. Marcus Semyon is batting 229 on the year, one home run, one steal. Brandon Lau's looked very, very good when he's been out there. I thought this one would be more towards Lau, but it is pretty pretty lopsided still towards Marcus Semyon. Almost 70% of people are still going there. I would agree Semyon's giving you more of a base in different categories considering that he steals so many bases. Where Lau, you're, you're not really going to get so many. Now, there is potential for a few of them. Uh, a couple of years ago in 2021, let me just pull it up now. I just had the page in your fan graphs. It's kind of having a... A bit of a conniption fit here. He had, what was it, seven stolen bases in 2021. So can he give you a couple? Yeah. Uh, but Semyon is probably going to be closer to like the 20 steal mark, where Lau, maybe five, six. Uh, everything else, I think it'll be relatively close. Home runs for Semyon are probably not going to be quite as high as Lau, but they're going to be, you know, like I think, relatively close within 10 or so, which might sound like a lot, but when you're looking at all the other categories, that Semyon will likely be still winning in. You know, I think he'll have more counting stats. I think for sure runs. Uh, RBIs will be fairly close, but I'd still probably give it to Semyon. Uh, more steals. And then the batting average, I think will probably slightly favor Semyon as well. So give me give me Marcus Semyon. A lot of you guys do agree, but it, it, interesting still, you know, the way that the tune does change here. 31% of people are already going to Brandon Lau uh, over Marcus Semyon. Now, this next one, I was expecting fairly lopsided results. Again, this is more for fun, uh, but Trey Turner and Wander Franco. I figured, why not? Let's see what people are doing here. Trey Turner has not been so so hot to start the season. He's not been bad. Uh, he's batting 313 still, 
Um, but in terms of like ranking, he's outside of the top 250 players because he has not hit a home run yet. He's only stolen two bases, which, you know, relatively speaking, kind of low for what we were expecting out of Trey Turner. I shouldn't say he started off poorly because he hasn't, but maybe poorer than we were expecting as opposed to Wander Franco. And I know, I know it sounds crazy considering he's batting over 300 to say he's poorer than we were expecting. But when you look at what Wander Franco's done, you know, four home runs, a couple stolen bases, 10 RBIs, and seven runs scored. He has, he has outperformed Trey Turner to this point in the season. I was interested to see how quickly people will change their tune, but, you know, one in five people only are picking Wander Franco at this point. When even that, I think, is insane. Like, I'm still definitely in Trey Turner camp. I mean, you're looking at, you know, again, a couple of weeks from a guy who was going number one overall in some drafts. Mostly people kind of moved away from that closer to the end of draft season than he was going, like, two or three or four versus a guy who was going in the 90s. And we've taken two weeks, and we've already swept him out. Some people are already pretty ready to, like, make a switch there. Um, I'm still definitely in Trey Turner camp. Again, this is just kind of interesting to see the way that people are valuing players. But one in five people, according to the people who responded, you know, 350 people here, are taking Wander Franco at this point. Again, it is kind of crazy. This next one, again, I was kind of expecting. But Brian Reynolds and Kyle Schwarber, 65%. For Brian Reynolds, 35% for Kyle Schwarber. Brian Reynolds has been the number one player in fantasy so far this season. He's been fantastic. Kyle Schwarber has not been so fantastic. Still, I think he's been pretty okay. I mean, the batting average is not good. Uh, but, you know, Kyle Schwarber is not somebody where you're necessarily going to get consistency. He's more of a streaky guy. We saw it a couple of years ago when he had like 15 home runs in a month or 17 home runs in a month. He's kind of a guy who will take his spots here and there, and he will end up accumulating the value uh, based on these hot streaks. It won't be like he's hitting three home runs a week for you the whole year or two home runs a week. It'll be like he'll hit seven this one week and none the next week. So it's not even a huge concern for me. He does have three bombs. He's batting 200. Uh, Brian Reynolds, though, has been the number one player in fantasy so far. Ten runs, five homers, two steals, 14 RBIs, and a three fifty six average. of people are taking Brian Reynolds, and their discrepancy in terms of draft price was not crazy. Uh, Brian Reynolds was going, again, I can't even remember at this point for a lot of the players, but I think Schwarber was going in like the 50s in a lot of drafts, 50s and 60s, where Reynolds was going like closer to pick 100, roughly. Let me take a look at that one, actually, real quick here. Um, Schwarber was going 60 in main events. That was his ADP, and Brian Reynolds was going 101. That one's more reasonable, a fairly close draft capital you would have used to acquire either player. So I understand going with Brian Reynolds based on the speed. I still think Schwarber will outperform him probably. Again, if Brian Reynolds gets traded, that could be a huge wild card as well. If he goes to a a great offense and he's batting in the middle of it, we can see those counting stats explode from him. Uh, But right now, I think I'm still probably slightly leaning towards Schwarber in that lineup considering the power that he has. Guys, that'll wrap it up for us for today. Appreciate you guys hanging out as always. Means a lot, all the downloads, subscriptions, everything that you guys have done to support us here at Sports Ethos and on the podcast. It really does mean a lot. You guys can check us out over on Twitter if you haven't already at Ethos Fantasy BB. You can follow my own personal Twitter at Joe Orico 99, tweeting out different news and notes and different podcast links on both of those pages uh, throughout every single day. So make sure you're checking us out over there. If you are enjoying the pod, let us know in the ratings and review section what you think. Five stars would go a long way.
if you guys could help us out here in terms of our growth, uh, we'd really appreciate that. Slide down to the bottom of your page, click the five stars. It takes two seconds, and it really does help us out. But guys, we will be back here tomorrow. We will be talking about some of the same things we have been doing so far. I think you guys are starting to get the hang of what these shows will look like. Some news and notes. We'll look at the previous day's performers, some of the top performers. We'll look at my particular uh, notes from the previous day's games. We'll do streamers. We'll do other kind of fun things like these polls. And I hope you guys will uh, enjoy what we got going on here. Should be a lot of fun going forward. Next week, I should announce before we let you go, I should have mentioned off the top, I will promote it over the next week or so. Uh, There's no guest this week because of scheduling snafu on my end. But next week, we'll be joined by my good friend Nick Pollock, the founder of Pitcher List. He'll be here talking early starting pitching outliers, guys who have started off the season fantastically or shitfully. And of course, we will be clean podcasts when Mr. Nick Pollock is here. No curse words. So definitely check that one out. That'll be next Wednesday evening. We'll maybe do that one live on Twitter as well. Also, make sure you are checking us out on all of our different platforms. But guys, I've rambled enough. We have gone an hour now. I appreciate you guys listening all the way through if you have. We will see you again tomorrow. Until then, take care. Have a great night and cheers. Cheers.